I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Abs from Pinner in Middlesex, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, when, if ever, is cultural appropriation a good thing? Okay, here comes a show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian and writer, and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! Pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from. We are talking everything from Abs from Pinner's question, which is when is cultural appropriation a good thing? Blimey, that's a that's a big one, Abs. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I, for me, the answer is when people give the culture credit they appropriate it from. Perfect. That's a perfect answer. A perfect answer. So we ask all the questions, right, Dane? We ask all of the questions. All the questions that need to be asked. We encourage you to question your reality. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify, where you'll never miss an episode. And you can also find us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network. Speaking of living large, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest. Now... This guest needs no introduction, but you are getting it anyway, because this guest (laughs) is a British comedian, actor, musician and presenter. He has excelled on radio, stage and screen for over three decades on television. He first came to prominence in MTV Singled Out, as well as MTV Select, hosted his own show on Channel 4 and went on to start in the British show operas EastEnders and Hollyoaks. But for many of you may also remember him for his amazing musical hits. Mama Who the Man and One Two Three Four Get With The Wicked also an accomplished martial artist and we go quite quite back from him being with Cat B on Choice FM so if you didn't know you should know by now I'm introducing myself apparently just kidding (laughs) (laughs) there it is there it is Uh, it gives me great pleasure to uh, finally have the man himself on the podcast welcome Mr. Richard Blackwood hello sir (laughs) (laughs) Went through all of that. Introduced me as Richard. I don't know the brother. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> right, but no, it's good to be here, man. Good to see you. How, how are you, sir, man? How have you been during lockdown? What's been happening, man? You know what? Um, lockdown. I think everybody has their own um, truth as to what lockdown was for them. Mm-hmm. I kind, of, I kind of treated it as a. a, a a time to, not, you know, I don't want to get spiritual and say reflect because that's the... the uh, oh, absolutely, no, absolutely, man. No, this is the space, man. You can be spiritual. We question everything. You want to be spiritual. You want to be philosophical. This is the place to do it, man. So Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So when this COVID thing hit and the pandemic hit, we didn't, nobody was prepared for that. We, did, we, we saw it in the distance. We thought, quote, unquote, like Trump says, a Chinese thing, right? You know, and we thought, yeah, it's very far from here. It takes like maybe 24 hours to get to China, like whatever, right? You know, it's like the other side of the world. So we'd be fine. And then literally uh, it felt like, you know, like we you watch these films and they you always show the yeah. beginning of the plane, the plane, the plane, the plane destinations, the little, the little, uh, the, the, the little red dots are flashing up. I'm like, hold on, France. Wait, wait. 
Do you remember Zara Richard when we, we were all like, oh, no, no, no Africa. So yeah, no, no Caribbean so far. Okay. Yes, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> 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 That's, but that's what no, but hold on, but that's what happens. We see it, we see it getting close, so then we start separating yeah. again. Because first of all, we was all the UK, right? Then when it was in France, black people were like, well, we ain't white, so yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> we just held by the body of the dark skinned men in the planet said, I've got it. Yeah, oh, like, do you remember? Oh my goodness. That was like do you know remember Magic Johnson with Magic Johnson and he, and he was HIV positive and everyone was like oh, that's how it happened with Idris, like his wife was rubbing his back and I was like, Has Idris cheated? Oh no. And then he was like, I'm positive and I was like, Oh my god <laughs> Which which thing covered the whole spectrum of black mm. colours. It was like if we took the dark skinned man first, we always attribute dark skin yeah, yeah. as the strong. So if he took him first, light-skinned people are like, never in trouble, guys. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it took out Conan yeah. the Barbarian. So that's it. We're, we're in trouble. So I was like, so then, as I say, so then the next thing you know, we weren't working yeah. no more. All of us, we was in our houses and, and you know, and really mm-hmm. in our houses. Like, we really, like, there is not a nook and cranny skirting board that we haven't come acquainted to because this thing forced us this thing forced us to live with our kids that we were trying to kick out. <laughs> right? you know I mean? like, like, boyfriends and girlfriends we were trying to break up with, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, we were four months because they're under your roof, right? You send them outside, they're going to die. So, you know, <laughs> it became really well for us. So, so I say all that to say, after maybe a month, just under two months, people started to accept, like, this is what it is. Um, and then, then people were buying the at home apparatus mm. to train. They realized they're going to be here for a while, right? You know, we was going outside for the hour and really stretching and really enjoying the outside moments. We, we, we became accustomed to waking up in the morning, not having anything mm. to do, but mm. having things to do. Cause we've now gone, okay, we're going to have to start a rotor in the house and things that will keep my mind working and my body working and blah, blah. New systems, right? New systems. Now, where does it leave me? Like, I saw you staying doing the stand-up, you know, in the car, in the, uh, the, the, yeah, the yeah, drive-through yeah. thing, right? And that's something, so that's a prime example of somebody, yourself, who said, okay, I'm going to, because, you know, stand-up is a muscle that Absolutely. we have to keep. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and you found a way to keep sharp by going out there and car horns beep beep beep, which normally yeah, would exactly. throw yeah, us yeah. off. Now, now is now your form of saying, "Do you yep. find me funny?" It's, it's, <laughs> exactly, it's adaptation, and, and you know, I, I've definitely, like you said, you've learned there are some things you can't control. And if I want to pride myself on being a creative, I still want to be able to have an idea and a message and have concepts. The medium in which people uh, realize that uh, concept, that's kind of that can change any time. You know, like look at yourself, for example. You mm. know, would have known initially from doing radio, and then from going from radio to acting as a presenter and then having a vehicle that's more geared towards your entire narrative with the Richard Blackwood show. And then, you know, going into like mm-hmm. soap operas and stuff like that. And, you know, for a comedian, even when the transition to like doing uh, television where you might hit a punchline and they're like, oh, we love it. Now we've got to do a tight shot. Now we've got to do a wide shot. Now we've got to cheat over your yeah, shoulder. Yeah. And then you start thinking, <laughs> you're still repeating the same punchline and everyone else is professional. Holding the, holding the boom mic being like, and I, like, wait no that's that's a good line what happened to this guy and, and there's just another guy that's been like yeah seen to because they're staying professional as well so you just you have to learn to like have that even a repetition part as well where like richard 
that was the best take we've ever seen. Now from the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like with the uh, pandemic, there's it's not a personal. Uh, it's not a personal journey or like a, or a struggle. Like this is not something I have to turn to someone and be like, I can't work because this has happened. This is, everyone's going through this. Some people aren't getting work. And, you know, I always, mm. the perspective has always been easy whereby I'm just kind of like, you know, some people may never go back to work. And, you know, this is a virus. People have lost family members and they can't even go to funerals and stuff like that because of, you know, the, yeah. the virus. So perspective, me, like, right, Dane? Perspective. Absolutely, yeah. So, so just the smallest part, like sort of adjusting. And in the line of work that we're in as well, you can provide that relief to people. This has always been our, our function, you know, not to equate us to key workers, but on this social level, being able to like interact with people and make them laugh and, you know, just deal with people's isolation. I think that's kind of been the benefit is that people have definitely uh, learned, I think, over the last five months to value just human interaction and speaking to people and catching up with old friends. And even if it's two or three minutes of just being like, hey, what's, what's going on in Bridget? Long time, innit? What are you saying? Yeah. How you doing? All in the same boat, right? We're all in the same, been in the, all same... In the same boat. I see. With that, that being said, I feel like there's a good question coming along. Uh, so again, uh, again, Richard Blackwood, as I say, uh, it's a real pleasure, man. So from a comedy perspective, I can definitely tell you one of the reasons I'm here is because you were here. I remember being in university, watching MTV Select and seeing people behind at Trocadero shouting out and going crazy. And I remember my cousin even went down to Trocadero, called us from, like, I was in New York. She's like, yeah, man, go turn on the TV. So, yeah. So far <laughs> as being an icon, yeah, I can't really express that enough. Um, so... As our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes, and then Howard will ask a question, then I'll ask a question, and then, yeah, you go on to continue uh, approaching legendary status. So, please, <laughs> as our guest, uh, you are uh, welcome to ask the first question. I guess my first question is to you, Dave, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, because I, just so you can use the platform to kind of speak on it, how did it make you feel when they, and not that they called you me, like, for, take me out of the equation. But mm-hmm. just I, I, I identified you by another black man, but but rather than you, yeah. How what what did it make you feel? Just the whole the whole spectrum of that. What did it make you feel like? Yeah. So so yeah. Just a background for uh, listeners that might not know is that uh, I'd recorded a the same show as uh, Richard, and there's some press ups were sent through for me to approve before we went promoting, and uh, I was sent pictures of uh, Richard Blackwood, our esteemed guest. Now. You guys will see, we do not share that much of a resemblance. As flattering as it would be, I'm no Richard Blackwood. Uh, <laughs> not, not yet. I'm going to ch- I'm gonna get that cucumber water budget soon, don't you worry. So, <laughs> PT and that. And then, then they'll be like, oh my days, you two are brothers. <laughs> little, little Richard Blackwood. It could happen. But, you know, to be honest, I feel like, so... Um, I, so what happened was that I, you know, in the way that a lot of the time black people do rationalize these microaggressions uh, mm-hmm. or reductions is that we kind of make fun of it. That's always been a cornerstone of the black narrative or editorial of comedy is that rather than constantly bemoaning and actually lamenting racism or we tend to like make fun of it because it's always a much more of an effective tool to ridicule it. So, yeah, for me, that's kind of how I felt, really, is that the short answer was kind of I got over the initial offense and I'm not saying over it, but I think at this point in my life, you're almost desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. It's almost at a stage now, I guess, where it's like, even if you are getting to work on a show with another black man, it's so much more progressive that we even worry about it. So I kind of got over that thing. But yeah, for me, it was just like, you know, this is another opportunity to ridicule this system, which people give assurances has no flaws. So for me, yeah, I guess I get, I felt kind of, yeah, I felt I was, I was frustrated but that's kind of like a constant state of being when you're working in an industry that tends to marginalize you anyway. 
Um, but yeah, I just saw it as an opportunity to do what I do, make people laugh and take what can be a tragedy a lot of time for a lot of black men and make it into comedy. Because, you know, in our instance, it may be like a faux pas that, you know, doesn't have that much consequence. But we know, you know, on a larger scale, there are men who are in jail. There are men who are on, on unemployment lines. There are men in their graves or in shallow graves because they were confused for somebody else. So... Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of the reasons I wanted to address it, albeit in a funny way, because, you know, it shows you how far this can get. And um, really, I just felt like I could use this microaggression to highlight some of the hypocrisy even around this topic of lookalikes and stuff, because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, there's that. I mean, the whole idea of generalizing in the current level of technology, for me, I don't think there's any excuse. And I think most people joined me and could understand that I was definitely displaying the whole thing in a very ironic way, even though it's a very serious thing. And that was uh, very clear based on the response we got from a lot of the uh, people that retweeted it and people that commented. And it's like, you know, it's a common occurrence for them a lot of the time as well. A lot of anecdotal evidence came in where a lot of people have been confused for other black people at offices. Um, having a Mo, having a Mo in the news, Mo Gilligan yeah, the so other Mo, week, right? Mo, Mo Gilligan was in the newspaper and he was confused for um, the dude from... Um, KSI, wasn't it? No, it was no KSI, and also yeah. So Mo Gilligan, as you know, you've been on Mo's show as well with Big Nasty. So they confused him for Marcel from Love Island. No way. Yeah, they confused him for Marcel from Love Island. You know, we had an early instance where um, you know had the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant, and then there was stock footage on the BBC from of LeBron James. And, and the one that sticks with me, and, and I think would would be one of the most memorable uh, events like that, was when uh, Samuel Jackson was uh, was on yeah. uh, on the news in America, and they said they called him Lawrence Fishburne, and it's like I think it was Lawrence Fishburne. Was it Morgan Freeman or Lawrence Fishburne? I think it was Lawrence Fishburne because I think I remember seeing him wear a T-shirt saying, I am not Lawrence Fishburne, uh, which uh, he did a week or so later. And and that was a really memorable one. So there's been so many instances of it. This isn't isn't a random occurrence what happened this week, right, guys? And and that was a part of it. But but at the same time for me, like it's a random occurrence. But I think now, I guess I got to the point now, Richard, where I was like, you know what? Now we're in a position where we can present this argument and there's very little excuse. So I just wanted to create that kind of discourse where essentially here is the rope. You can choose whether or not you tend to hang yourself. And people, you know, in that respect came along trying to apologize and was like, you know, you may have lost someone the job. Maybe you've gone too far. And well, why do you guys all make everything about race? And I was like, nothing here was made about race. And this is not, you know, the people, the actual company involved, they've more than like owned their responsibility. These are like yeah, detractors yeah. who constantly apologise for this thing. And they were like, yeah, but, you know, it can happen and maybe I'm racist and maybe I confuse black guys. And for me, that left it open where I was kind of like, you know, the reason why I personally feel like, uh, again, this is double standard entirely hypocrisy is because if that kid was a referee and he confused us, and the op- and those guys are from the opposing team. They'd want him crucified. They'd want him crucified. Well, and that's happened well, before as well. When I think two years ago, Arsenal played against Southampton, and mm, Gibbs uh, and Oxlade Chamberlain. Yeah, Gibbs and Oxlade Chamberlain. Now, obviously, those guys are both of dual heritage, but again, look very different. Even as by a simple something as the fact that Kieran Gibbs has cropped hair and his hair is cut short, and Oxlade Chamberlain has his hair out. So that's the first thing. Also, their names are in big letters on the back of their shirts. <laughs> Exactly. Fuck Along with hell. the numbers. And the reason why I use a football analogy, Richard, is because, you see, the thing is, in this country, referees do make decisions. And sometimes those decisions could be erroneous or based on their poor eyesight. There are a litany of songs that describe the poor eyesight of referees, right? 
Still wasn't enough for English people. They were like, no, 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 no. Now they go to a, 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 a virtual assistant referee. So now a robot will tell you who made a mistake. If you can go that far as to have a robot tell you what offside is, you can tell the difference between two black people. In well, the same way, if you live in a time now where your phone will not even open unless it has the precise face recognition, there is now no excuse. If you can work out the surface of Mars and whether or not that surface has bodies of water and you can see that from here, if you distinguish between two black men who are almost a decade apart, there is no excuse. What it shows me, unfortunately, is all those other examples that you gave all had a far greater level of importance than our situation of two black men that mm-hmm. are different but being um, classed as the same. It's the level of importance that the whole um, scenario of Black Lives Matter and what we've been marching for and, and even referring to r- racism like this as microaggressions because it's the new term now, but even still, people feel no way to go, well, you know, like I, I said to you, um, I was walking on <laughs> Oxygen, and, I, and as I say, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it here, Dane's going to talk about it in his stand-up, right, because because I haven't done stand-up in a while, I think Dane's a good person to talk about it, right? But the man, the man walked past me, and I was on the phone, and I was just trying to get to where I was going, so I was keeping my head and not like, oh, you're famous, but I understand that. EastEnders and Hollyoaks, you get you get the most notoriety in terms of people recognising yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. Massive shows. Yeah, so I keep my head down and one guy goes, wait, Idris. <laughs> but the look he gave me was like, you thought no one recognised you. It was kinky on so many levels. <laughs> it's the fact that he went, you thought I didn't recognise you. Eh? Ah. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Idris. I went, oh my, and it's, and I, but me, I, I, my tongue, it's very reactive. So it's very, Richard. And it, instead of him saying, sorry, mate, he just went, eh, and just walked off like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> But guess the, here's the thing. I, that's just that just ironically happened near this time when this happened with Dane. But this happens all the time. Absolutely. It's not Idris that I'm called, where I have to say to them I'm not, and they go, "Look, stop, stop, stop saying it, piss." I just, I, and I'm like, "No, seriously, I am not Idris at all." And if it's not him, then it's Charles Venice, which is a good friend of mine, Chucky. Yeah, yeah, right? Chucky, yeah, of course, yep. Chucky, me and Chucky stood in the same venue next, <laughs> to, next to each other at a soap awards. <laughs> and, and Chucky was called Richard Blackwood next to me. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> What? What? I can see it. As crazy as it sounds, I can see someone come up to me like, oh my God, I, I think I'm drunk. Two Richards? Am <laughs> 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 I drunk? Is this your twin brother, Richard? <laughs> I, I could not believe it. Like, you see, but that's why for me, the reason why all this, this what we're discussing is so important is that what it, what it, Yes, we're not being called the N-word as much as we used to when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. It was very overt. Okay, so that's changed, which is great. It's progression. But what it shows still, which is what the bigger picture is, 
is that to certain, and I don't even like the fact that I have to say to certain, but obviously certain white people will jump on and go, not me, so I say to certain white people, you still do not want to acknowledge us as equals. You can't even see us as equals because you can't, you, you're not, your eyes, your eyes are not even trained enough to identify distinct differences. Absolutely. And, and I feel, yeah, absolutely. Makes complete sense. And I think mainstream media takes a massive part of responsibility for that because they've not provided enough of a range of archetypes, I don't think, for a lot of white people to make distinctions. I think this is the reason why, you know, when you have uh, African players who come from uh, pay francophones and former French colonies, they come and play, they have feathers in their hair and glitter and Christmas lights because they know they have to try and make the, the distinction on themselves and by that token, their personality when mm. they're playing football, otherwise they won't stand out. Like, you know, you watch African Nations, you'll see players like Jabril Cisse and Ibrahim Barr and uh, El Hajj Diouf. Their hair, all these crazy spikes and different colours and all this peacocking because you almost have to have this level of flamboyance as a black man in order for you to distinguish yourself from your peers. Otherwise, how are you going to stand out? And I've seen something very similar with comedy whereby people have told uh, my peers and my friends that, oh, we can't have two of you on the same bill because how would the audience tell the difference? You've got to go at the top and the tail and stuff. And yeah, there's this idea that there's not a distinction between us. And for me, again, I say I call bullshit because people's cats go missing, yeah, Richard? And they put a picture of the cat up on a tree. I've never seen your cat in your life. But you assume strangers are going to see this picture of your cat that you described as black with a white dot on it and call you and go, are you looking for a black uh, black cat with a white dot They're created around South East London? I think I found a cat. And they're going to be like, of course you have. So how is it that an, an animal with that ambiguous a description, you can find that, but you have a trouble distinguishing between like two black men who are obviously look very, very different. And I just think it's a large part of the reason is because of this lack of uh, people being shown on TV. Because... I, by the same token, most people who have pets will be like, I could recognise my pet out of a bunch of pets of the same species anywhere. But you never hear people going, oh, did you watch David Attenborough yesterday? I swear it was the same dog that was in that Netflix one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> must be, he's getting, yeah. He must be getting money, bruv. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's like even Lassie, you know, with Lassie and stuff, or all these, all these dogs and stuff, there could be about 20 Lassies, but no one's ever gone like, isn't that Lassie? Not from this season. Are you dumb? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that doesn't happen. Can I ask a question about the, the press response to you both, which is to say, obviously, it went massively, uh, you know, a big news story this week. And, and what are the positives and negatives that come out of it becoming such a big news story, in your opinion? The negatives for me, even though it's horrible to say that I'm now used to it, you should never get used to Absolutely. Yeah, that's a problem. Being deemed in that way because of your colour, but it's an unfortunate thing that I am. But the negative is that it still shows that 20 years on from when I had my own Richard Blackwood show and let's say I was in the first leg of my yeah. career as a stand-up and then presenter, so to speak, and breaking those waves, uh, that 20 years later... When Dane and Dane by this time has been doing it for a while, so I'm not just saying he's new, but Dane now is is establishing himself in the mainstream and kicking down those doors. He's well on TV, but yet we still do not matter enough. Yeah, and it's horrible to say that, but we have to call a spade a spade. It, it shows that we don't matter enough, and and so the negative is is that, and this is the part that maybe certain white people don't see, is part of the reason why we work so hard is just so that we can have just what certain white people have as just the default, 
Yeah, we just want to like. I remember when I um <clears throat> when I first was was able to afford certain luxurious things, mm-hmm. and I bought myself a nice car, and you know, I I I knew I used to wait for the police to stop me mm-hmm. because I realised now that I was a black man with power. So when they would stop me, I'd be the first to go. What you stopped me for? Uh, you did this, and I go, no, I didn't. Right now, at most, I wouldn't just do it for doing it sake. I was right. I didn't do this thing, but I, but I just enjoyed the fact they were trying to harass me because I, I couldn't wait to say, "You don't know who I am, do you?" Right? Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll go, "What do you mean?" And I go, "You don't. You know what? You should continue. Continue do what you did. Right? Just know that this is not going to go the way you think it is." And mm-hmm. I'll, and I'd always say, "You chose the wrong black man today." It was like my signature statement, and I used to get such power because they would look at me and part of them would go. This is before internet, so they couldn't just Google. Yeah. Right? So, they, so I said, no, no, radio it in. I said, they say, you've been arrested. I go, I've never been arrested. They go, you sure? And I go, what you should do is, yeah. is, is radio in Richard C. Blackwood and see what comes up, right? So the first thing they'll do is they'll do it, you know, the Richard C. Blackwood, Clifford Black, blah, blah. And they'll say, no, no warrant, no arrest. Then, then somebody go, Any? you would hear it. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. I, I used it was it was it made, it was like the next level to sex in terms of euphoria that I would feel when I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're trying to keep quiet because they know I can hear. And they go, what was that? Was that? And the woman's going on the intercom. Isn't he? He's got his own show on, on Channel Four. And he, this is before. Remember now, there was only yeah. five channels. You never yeah. really had cable like that. Exactly. So on channels, you was famous. Absolutely. On Channel 4, it's Richard Blackwell show, right? And they'll go, yeah, they go, no, 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 mate, go, no, leave it, leave it, right? So then they'll, they'll go, yeah, all right, look, mate, you know, and I'll just look at them and I'll go, wrong black man, innit? Wrong black man today. Yeah. <laughs> now, the thing is, I could have come across as the angry black man as a stereotype, but technically I kind of was. Mm. Because I, well, at that precise moment, what it showed me was that I had to get myself to this level just so you could treat me the way you would treat a normal white person over there. Absolutely. Dane is doing shows here, there, and everywhere on TV, blah, blah. Dane reaches a point where his name is synonymous with fame and everything that he's done over the X amount of years, just so certain police officers that want to harass him have to go, that's Dane, now leave him, leave him. Yeah, you have to be being exceptional just for the just to be exceptional, just to be treated like an equal. And it's yeah, and that's and that's the thing is that yeah, I think um yeah, with this question, for me, I can handle it. As you said, it's kind of something I'm used to. You shouldn't be used to it, but desensitized is probably the better word. But yeah, the thing that makes me despair, as you said, is that it's like now because of confused identity, I have to prove I'm exceptional to be treated like a normal human being. Plus the fact that I always believe like by then, by reducing who we are, then our opportunities are also reduced. And then you do get this crabs in a bucket theory where every single black creative now is panicking because they know that they see all of us as a monolith. And you see that kind of manifesting that, now they want to use this black grime artist to do this comedy show. And then this guy, this guy is doing like yeah. a, a food show. And it's like, there are black people who have competencies in all of these subgenres of entertainment. There are loads of black chefs. There are loads of black musicians. There are loads, and, and they can always intersect, but it's like with white culture, Adele is an amazingly accomplished musician, but no mm-hmm. one's asking Adele to do live at the Apollo. Or in the same way, you know, Ed Sheeran is not going to be doing Mock the Week. So, yeah. Yeah. it's able to make that very distinction and, and that's the big part problem is that if we can't even get past the fact that they can't you know distinguish between our skin tone and our features 
how are we going to be nuanced in terms of like region and our different and more varied experiences in the UK? Because I have no problem with any like white straight men as comics, for example, but no one, there are a lot of white straight male comics who wear a suit and have dark hair, but no one is confusing Michael McIntyre for John Bishop because they live in and are from two different parts of the country. And they're not going to be confused for Peter Kay, even though Peter Kay and John Bishop are both from Lancashire, they're not going to be confused. And no. Michael McIntyre is from the South. He's not going to be confused with a Mickey Flanagan, who's from London, mm-hmm. but as is Jimmy Carr, who won't be confused either. And Rod Gilbert is Welsh, and he won't be confused for a Dara Brian, who's Irish, who won't be confused for a Billy Connolly, who's Scottish. And they have all this nuanced stuff. And then, you know, someone like even James Acaster's from Kettering, and no one is going to confuse James Acaster with Joel Domit, and he's from the Southwest. So. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. For me, that's the issue is that if we can't even get the, uh, you know, respect of having a distinction between both our skill as well as our appearance and our journey, like how are we going to even nuance and get the most out of, you know, black creativity and what we can potentially offer? So I say, yeah, I've had the experience to answer the question. I've had the experience whereby I can handle it, but I want to create a foundation whereby they can't get away with it anymore for successive generations, as you said. And the podcast, the, the, hopefully all these people who clicked on the story this week, uh, they're listening to this and hearing you guys add to the narrative in a, in a nuanced way that, let's be honest, the way we consume our media online doesn't allow for the kind of discourse that we, you guys have and we've had yeah. uh, so far on the show. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a great question. Yeah, it's a it's amazing, and, and obviously we had to talk about it, right? That's uh, it needed to be done. In the room. I, but yeah. I, it would have been it would have been wrong for me not to ask the question because absolutely, I've been in that place for I would say I started to become mainstream around about ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've I've tasted it, but there's so many things that we as comedians have to go through. So as I say, so to see Dane then carving his name in his niche and blah blah and getting through to then have to experience that. That's why I had to ask the question. And also highlight the fact that, look at that, even after everything Dane's gone through to get to a certain point. Add yourself, add yourself. Your distinction is also entitled as well. And and this is what I mean. It's like, for my listeners, Mm. I want my listeners to Google the following images. You need to look up Tom Selleck and Burt Reynolds. Then look up Nick Nick Nolte. Yeah, then look up Nick Nolte and Gary Busey. Right. Look those guys up and then come back to me and tell me about anyone can make that mistake. Yeah, it's well said. Actually, Tom Selleck, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, both had the, the thick moustaches and the same, yeah, 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 yeah. the full run. 
right? Yeah, no, it's true. It's so true. This I never thought it. about that. No one yeah. that, that's real that's real lookalikes for you there yeah, you know. exactly but um, it's, I'm going to move on to a completely different subject if that's okay because this show has a whole mixture of things that we talk about Richard uh, yeah, never end, a never ending list and I, I was thinking uh, when I was looking uh, through you know your kind of career uh, before we, we, we got you on the show today about you know, all the different things people know you for and I think a lot of people will know you for acting uh, mm-hmm. from, from from EastEnders and Hollyoaks you know I think you know some of us will remember the Richard Blackwood show and some people will know you more from EastEnders um, and obviously you must enjoy the acting I'm sure it's, uh, it's, a, it's an not, interesting life let's also not leave out a Donkey from Shrek because that rang a very long time in theatres yeah, good, uh, good point good yeah, point that did very very well let's not play that down at all so. but, but my question is a real simple one, which is, you know, I'm sure there's loads of people who love watching you uh, on, on screen acting. Um, if you were to pick all time favourite actor, but we're, we're each going to put one forward. Who for you is the uh, is the all time greatest? Because there's so many great names out there and uh, and uh, I'd be interested to know what you think. Wow, that's a, good, that's a very good question. Um, you know what, it's a, I tell you why it's a tough one, because um, I... Now that I guess I'm acting a lot more mm. and and I've been a very lucky comedian to have crossed over into drama. So, you know, as much as cause most comedians end up doing comedies and because they've got comic timing and blah, blah. Um, and I saw Jamie Foxx obviously do Ray. And prior to Jamie Foxx doing Ray, I too was trying to ascend to just be a comic actor. And that's it. Right. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, no, we, we, we've actually got a lot of range um, and we can go further when I saw Ray. And then, um, and at this time I was doing plays and stuff and I was getting more serious roles, but I was throwing myself in more because I, I didn't limit myself before that the glass ceiling had been broken because prior to him, when I was growing up, it was Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. Mm. And I came from where I came from and then ascended, even though in fairness, Richard Pryor did do Lady Sings the Blues and the Mac and different films where he was a serious actor, especially Lady Sings the Blues, because that was quite a dark character that he played. Um, mm. And Richard Pryor was my hero. He's the reason why I started doing stand-up back in, well, I was eight years old when I saw him on TV, and then I decided at eight years old I wanted to do stand-up. So he essentially, him and Lenny Henry were the two. But all of them that I mentioned all ended up being comic actors and not necessarily straight actors, even though Lenny Henry started to do Othello and things like that later on. So, so in answer to your question, I would have said Denzel Washington at first, right? Mm. Mm. But the reason why I don't say Denzel now, this is not discrediting Quinn Denzel. Oh, of Denzel, course, he's incredible. He's incredible, but yeah. He, you know. He's an amazing actor. However, Denzel, um, nine times out of ten, I notice plays characters that are essentially always strong. Whether they're wrong and strong in Training Day or whether they're right and strong in John Q, they're always strong characters. Uh-huh. I've mm. never play a character that's weak or vulnerable um like, really like interesting yeah like his brother you know the character that played his brother in um fences uh, that the special brother he was a vulnerable character right he was a weaker character now actors that i rate uh those are the actors that i rate that you could i can see them doing something strong and powerful and then they can take it all the other way where you look at them as really like, do you know what I mean? And and so I would put the, the, the guy, the Phoenix guy in that. Mm-hmm. Um, first name. And he's oh, what, what, Wahim, but he used to be called Leaf. Remember, uh, River Phoenix's brother, he used to be called Leaf Phoenix yeah. and then they changed it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'd put him in that. I'd put, um, I would even say Eddie Murphy because 
Eddie Murphy is not really renowned as a great actor, but people don't realize how great he is as an actor because yeah. because what one thing that Eddie does in his movies, which is a, 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 a real testament to him, is Eddie allows the other funny person to be funny and he will just bounce off of that. He yeah. doesn't need to command the mm. funny. And you, and you see it a lot in Boomerang, right? Especially, he does it in a lot of films. That's a good good point about Boomerang, you know, because, you know, you're right. It's funny you say that because, like, way, putting it that way is the best way because, it, obviously, he's super funny, but you never see yeah, You never see him trying to top people and it bounces back and forth because, like, for those who don't know what Boomerang is, Boomerang was um, a black rom-com, was, uh, like, a real iconic one. And, yeah, the com- comedy alumni in that film is insane mm-hmm. because you've got Martin Lawrence, you've got David mm-hmm. Alan Greer, Tisha Campbell, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, John Witherspoon, Eartha mm-hmm. Kitt, Chris mm-hmm. Rock, mm-hmm. you know, so just the... That's a, that's a line. Oh, alone, yeah, and, and, and that's the point. As Rich said, at no point is that you don't see anyone having to vile battle for a valid punchline. Grace Jones is in it as well. So just the breadth of comedic talent and the ages that's involved in it, it's like, you know, just like Harlem Nights, it's like combining that much talent into one film can be very difficult. But yeah, Eddie Murphy's really good. Like even, like Eddie Murphy, like in Shrek, again, is with like Cameron Diaz and is with Mike Myers. And again, John Lithgow. And there's no thing where it's like Eddie Murphy has to come and prove himself. No, he's, no, yeah. No, really, but he's, it's a really good but point. It's a, and it's a skill that he mastered because I tell you, I'll give you just one prime example and then I'll let you answer the question about your favourite actor. But in, if you, the same um, scene with um, Grace Jones in Boomerang, Grace Jones had, he gave Grace Jones, because it's a friend of his, because she used to give him opening spots at uh, concerts when he was younger. Mm-hmm. So they've always had that friendship. So obviously she was playing the eccentric, you know, speaking French, black people that make money back in the 80s, they would always speak French and blah, blah, and all that kind of stuff. So he, mm-hmm. she, and she played it very well, like as a woman that's not an actress and as a singer. Yeah. Right? She did it very well. But Eddie Murphy did a little line that was enough to show I'm funny, but it's not about me, right? So when she she's naming the, the perfume and she went, after bath, and he went, and all he said, all he said, he said two things. He went, sorry, what? And she <laughs> went, after bath, and he went, I'm sorry, I thought she said bear. That- <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Some of the subtle jokes in the first two oh Beverly, Hop- Hops- oh, Beverly Hills so Cop films are amazing. There's so, so many good jokes in those first two I, films. I remember in that film, you got to remember that's Judd Nelson in Beverly Hills Cop, and in the what? 80s, Judd Nelson was that guy. So yes. again, it's 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 again being able to be in these spots and thrive without taking away from every, anybody else. I don't. Yeah, you're right. I don't think we give. Even the coming to America, which in itself obviously is a classic, and it's like, first of all, that film is when someone's putting on the suits and playing different characters, pioneered that. You're not going to see a better version of that playing out in any film other than Coming to America. The barbershop, right? The yeah, barbershop exactly. Where he's the three, but, yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, if you look at it, and obviously I can re- return to it with more educated eyes, like John Amos is in that, Arsenio Hall is in that, like. You know, Eric LaSalle, who's a great actor from ER, he's also in that as well. James L. Yeah. Jones is in that film. Like, Coming to America went so well. If you don't know, the original Lion King, the mom, like Mufasa, his wife, are played by the king and queen in Coming to America. That is how influential that film is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, he, and his actual character was not funny. Everybody around That's him That's such was- a good point. Yeah, Akeem is the straight man as well. 
He's the straight man in the film. That's such a good point. Uh, you know what I mean? He, 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 I mean, he was he was so nerdy and geeky that it was like he everybody else, and that's what I mean by uh, being a great actor. That's a really good point. The film, was, the film was the film was so brilliant, and he was able to play the straight roles. So he even made the dad that used to be in um oh you know the one that uh, Matt Dowell's he used to be. Oh yeah, John Amos. Yeah, John Amos. Yeah, because he was in um oh, was it was it good was it Good Times or something? One of those films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So even that scene when he goes, if you want to keep working here, stay off the drugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Murphy could have easily kind of delivered a line to make that even funnier as a rebuttal. Absolutely. And just walked out because his thing is, this is your section, right? This is not me, all right? So we look at John Amos, I think he's hilarious, but you know Eddie Murphy wrote that line. Yeah. What do you know what I mean? He wrote that line. Do you know what I mean? And 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 oh Samuel Jackson with him, he goes, I'll be forced to punch you. There you go. And, and that's Samuel Jackson as well. And he's and it's still yeah. back and forth the time is put and he's playing the straight man with Samuel that's Jackson. Right. Yeah, right. Louis Anderson's in that film as well. Yeah, that's yeah. so much so much. Purely uh purely for the basis of uh, of running out of time on the yeah, show, yeah. Dane. Who who do you who do you think you know is what? there? I thought one of the I had an idea in my head, and then I thought I can't pick one, and then I thought I could have a top five. But <laughs> Richard, you, you've given me a whole new perspective on anything. Levels. Because, Richard no, Blackwood brought levels to this even, conversation. I would have yeah. probably said like Denzel because of the roles he's done and how prominent. But it's like you said, that if he's not like I said, a detriment to him at all, because we just know Denzel will always choose scenery. But it's, yeah, being the bait or the vulnerable person is not the range. But I feel like what I want to say is there's loads of amazing actors and the alumni of actors. Because for me, we can start all the way from, you know, Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte and Cicely Tyson and work all the way down because you can take into account the steps they were making in the in in terms of the beginning to down and break yeah and but I would say and we've like I said we've gone over discussed so many good people so what I would rather do maybe talk about people who I feel are now even beginning to ascend and I think they're amazing it's very hard but if I have to choose I can only get down to three everyone I know it's not a question but I'm gonna say mm, uh, go for it so I'm gonna say Viola Davis. One hundred percent. She she like she don't miss and like everyone's another level. She's in Meryl yeah. Street. She doesn't and like her scene, like obviously Fences is a great film with Denzel, but her scene in Fences. Oh gosh! Listen, she gave it to him. When she gave it, to him, well, she gave it to, listen, you you can't do another takes of them ones there. So that's that's one. And uh, number two for me would be Marshall Ali, because I think how, the character that he played in Moonlight versus the character he plays in the Green Book, you know, brilliant actor, really good actor. The style as well. He's got yeah, real cool. brooding, real focus, and yeah, it's like it's just like watching yeah. it. And then by that same token is a uh, Christoph Waltz. So oh, Christoph yeah. Waltz played the Nazi hunter in Inglorious Bastards, and yeah, that yeah. scene when he goes to the French dairy farmer's house and drinks the milk before he tells them to tell him where they, they're hiding the um, the Jews. I was like, oh, that's the well, most also Django. Shit. I mean, and him and Django, well. he's he's but amazing in Django. Scene though, in fairness, that scene is what made Hollywood pay attention. Absolutely, that scene in Inglorious Bastards, like he's not raising his voice, he's not using anti-Semitic language, but just the menace in his tone, <laughs> subtlety, the subtlety, subtlety yeah, of it it's that menace, is it's just, just like, outrageous. That is like that. That is very good. That's, I mean, that. Yeah. It's, it's just sometimes you see you see that synergy how it plays out with actor and director, whether it's Scorsese and De Niro or even like Spike Lee and Denzel Washington. But like, yeah, Tarantino. You see and it in music and football as well. You see it yeah, in music yeah. and football. Something's something's happening before your eyes. It's just a know real, a real synergy. It's a real, yeah. There's Absolutely. no, no one's forcing this to happen in that in that That's kind of it. way. It's happening. I mean, my my person who I've just been watching a lot of his films recently and realised I would watch. 
bad films with this person is an interesting <laughs> way of, of me deciding is Pacino. I reckon you could put Pacino in the worst film and I'm just happy to watch it because you know Pacino to, is in it. He knows how to lift it. Pacino, Pacino, they're from the old school, you know. Pacino, yeah. um, De Niro, they're all Harvey Keitel. They all come from that old school. They all used to train at the same place as well. So yeah. they, they come from that real concrete New York Kind yeah. of yeah, they're, 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 they're I rewatched. Um, I, the reason it kind of came into my head this question is because I rewatched uh, Devil's Advocate. I don't know if you guys have ever oh, seen listen, that film. I don't, that film, <laughs> however you feel about it, that speech at the end, that's monologue. one of the best. That monologue at the end, one of the best I've ever heard. I, that film is mental. mental. That film is absolutely ridiculous. However, he turned it Pacino down is so good. Yeah, he so he's so good. Five times. Really? Yeah. It's like Pacino turned- any given Sunday. Oh my god. That scene as well. Listen, yeah. that will make you go and go and play American football. We don't know the rules, but and that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that does. But yeah, the actor one is tough. And also, just on the point as well, what you said, Richard. You know, a lot of people, a lot of comedic actors, you have to give them a lot of credit because I think they, when they actually do transition into more serious roles, they do really well. Like you said, mm-hmm. when you obviously yourself have done more dramatic roles. Uh, Robin Williams in Thurtle Booth was really good. Brilliant. Jason Bateman in the Ozarks is Yo. insane. Because yes. he started off doing like dodgeball and stuff, so that's amazing. And the rest of development, so going from a very subtle, uh, very highbrow comedy to again the same with the, the same thing with the thriller with Ozarks and uh, obviously Jim Carrey oh, in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, man. So I think yeah, for a lot of yes, of yeah, so a lot of exceptional comedians do make the effective transition as well. So yeah, we've man. said some great names in uh, in the answer to this question. So all our listeners are encouraged to go and check out all of those people's films question. if you haven't seen them. But um, but thanks for answering it. And so it's over to Dane for the final question of the show. Uh, we're going a bit longer today because we got into so deep into our first question. Absolutely. But, um, but, um, over to you, Dane. We want to value, uh, you know. So, uh, Richard, this is a little background behind this question I'm going to ask you. Essentially, uh, again, if we have younger listeners and stuff, you may have seen, as we've mentioned, uh, amazing comments like uh, Mo Gilligan, uh, as well as, you know, more recent times like Michael Dapper as well, who's a roast of prominence with Man's Not Hot. I references to you guys because of the fact that uh, uh, Mo uh, went viral and realised uh, a new profile because he did uh, a lot of grime MCs. So Mo, as well as being a very talented comedian and writer, is also a very avid music fan. You see that in a lot of his comedy. Uh, obviously, before Mo as well, we had the big phenomenon online with Roll Safe and Coyote Iwumi playing RS and his aspirations of grime MC. So again, did a fire in the booth and rose to a whole new level of prominence. And then Michael Dapper, as well as being a writer and performer, also had one of his characters, Big Shaq, have a record deal and do this uh, film, uh, Man's Not Hot. But before all of that, Man Like Richard was doing music from Quayback. So just remember who kind of set that blueprint as well. And I've always, I've always joked to friends as well, is that like, when they give me a record deal, that's when you know I'm big. Because for me, <laughs> when they give you, when they let you do another type of art, that's when you've made it. That's when you've made it. And you know, at the same time, yeah. you know, and this is not something that's disrespected to like, uh, you know, black comics either. Because uh, Peter K had this song that's the way to Amarillo as well, and so you know, so it's always been like. Now, obviously, Richard, you have had experience in the music industry, mm-hmm. so I'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario. Yeah. You get a phone call from your agent, and they're like, Richard, Richard, you awake? Richard, I can't believe this. I just went over your first record contract and I found a small clause which says you are given a budget to be able to executive produce your own music album. Some idea, they you know, like Kanye did the whole My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Remember that? And he had everybody on it and it was amazing. Well, now they're calling this My Beautiful Laugh Richard Fantasy. They want you to put together a 10-track album of your most admired musicians, 
comedians or comedians that have done music. So my question to you, Richard Blackwood, is you have to executive produce, on which you can appear as well, your own music album, 10 tracks. You can have a feature on each. Who would be on this album? What a question. That's a big task. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. I would do a track. I would be, I would do a track with Big Nasty. Nice. Because I think Big Nasty is, like I say to him, he's an exceptional MC. But Big Nasty has carved his own lane because uh, he, he, he can be funny. He's got his own style of funny, right, mm-hmm. which, which works. Otherwise, he wouldn't have two seasons on his show or three seasons, how many now. So definitely that. It's easy for me to say Mo as well because Mo is very, very funny. And I and Mo, I saw he did the track with Shaggy, right, you know, and he does his thing. And I think I think... With me, I, I like I love Mo. I th- I prefer Mo's stand up mm. to his sketches, but that's because I like when I when I went to see him stand up, and I know he came out first, and he was doing the, the characters, and I and I knew he was feeding his new audience. Yeah. Then when he stopped and he took the mic and then started doing the stand up, I remember I turned to Charlie, my manager. I said, "Now this is it," because I know how good he is as a stand up, right? So in a weird sort of way, it's like I get it. Feed your audience that. Right, yeah, because yeah. They're, they're your new. But I've been on the circuit to see how Mo, Mo throws down, mm. and I know that Mo can throw down, mm-hmm. right? You know, so, so you know, and I think he's, I think he's, he's exceptional. All the success he's getting now, he deserves absolutely. Um, yeah. So, first time I saw Mo was in Light Bar, I think, on Brick Lane in Shoreditch. Mm. Oh my goodness, the way he shut down the show, boy! <laughs> he he came late, and like I think he did a bit about going shopping and. He almost, they almost condemned the place. He brought the whole thing down. So no, I, 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 I get you feel, I feel that way about like someone like Stormzy, who's like obviously an amazing accomplished musician and will play to a particular audience with certain songs. But I sometimes, I, I'm always like, I still wanted to see Wicked Skeng Man in it, just just barring in the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get yeah, yeah. I get that definitely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I, would use you, I would use you, right? Because I think that you have your... I mean, I'm, remember, I'm saying certain comedians that I don't even know if they would do music, but yeah, yeah. still. But um, because once again, your your form of comedy, you don't play to the stereotypes of being a black man, right? Mm. You, you you totally go against the grain, which I think is very important, and it's become your tongue, right? You know, um, so you essentially what you do. Is, I mean, don't get me wrong; I don't say you don't speak about the black experience because you do, right? and you speak about situations through your eyes as a black man, but. You also, you have a, 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 a knack, or it's a gift, one of the two. I, I'll, put, I'll put them both together. Where you're able to speak about things that, oh, this is going to sound mad. White people can go on stage and talk about almost anything. Yes. Right? Black, black people can go, go on stage and they normally talk about things that correlate back to their race. Yes. You have found the happy medium where you could go on stage and talk about anything it's, like what white comedians do. Absolutely. I mean, and it's yeah, and yeah. people, but that's easy. It's like no, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because our brains as black people, whether it's rap or whether it's like so, Eminem used to speak about everything. Yeah, exactly. Eminem wasn't cornered. He, he had that context, yeah, where he could he had the breadth of being able to speak about whatever he wants. Because and it goes back to what we were talking about in the first question. Because there's the breadth of range in white archetypes, mm-hmm. you can have that kind of act. Whereas if there's a narrow idea of how people see black people, that's not just mm-hmm. aesthetically. That's also narratively because it's like, well, if you're black, what do we talk about? We talk about relationships yeah. and raving and this and this and this and there's not things we can discuss. Which means 
I've always felt that one of the reasons I did that is because I do not want any black person to feel their experience is invalidated if it doesn't include certain cultural indicators. So that's, that, so that's my thing is that like there, there are some black people who may be into like robot wars and they might be into like bird watching or train spotting. They shouldn't feel they're any less black than someone who has a much more, uh, I guess, culturally rich experience growing up in South East London. There are black people that might live in East Anglia in Norwich and they are one of the only other 10 black people they know, half of which are their family. But their uh, experience is no more valid than ours. So I just wanted to, I guess, create a style which was accessible to them, but still nuanced enough that people know I have a black experience and it's different to the British one. But at the same time, it's not so nuanced that if you are a black person that lives in, you know, Edinburgh, you're mm-hmm. this is this is you feel outside of this. So that's kind of why, yeah, yeah that was the approach, like you said. No, but and it's, and that's what I'm saying. So I've seen it. So that's why I would I would use you. Um, I would use definitely one with Slim, right? Because I think Slim is an underrated but amazing comedian oh, that, I, you know, that could do something just uh, like given the opportunity, right. could fly. Kane Brown. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I might be naming some names that maybe the audience are not too. I was about to say, our audience needs to go and check some of these yeah, guys exactly. out. Keep, keep it coming. Keep, keep dropping names. Cause they will just check them out. That's all good. Yeah. Because Kane Brown is, is a comedian that I would say slim and Kane are two comedians that I would say that as a comedian, if you go on stage with these people and you ain't on your A game, oh yes, it's not nice to follow them. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, it's not nice to follow them. No way. Often or remembered for being shit after them. Yeah, right. They'll, they'll resent you if you go on and don't keep up the energy. They'll resent you because yeah. Oh, you're mad, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? So those two definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, um, That's a good lineup already, now, right? That's a hell of a lineup. That's no, a, that, that track with Slim and Kane just going to be the central one. That's the one when the women have the, the milk, the milk bars yeah. and, and pour honey in the, and, and candles. I can imagine. But then I would also use Judy Love, mm. right? Because right? Judy Love, as I say, you um, people, you know, I, I I like core. So it's all well and good to watch people on TV or on their, their internet platforms or whatever and see they're getting their, their, their just dessert, their just reward, shall I say. But once again, you go on after Julie Love in any stand-up show, you got to be ready. She will leave the place like it's torn up, like a bomb's hit. Because you know it's right? with Judy as well, yeah? When Judy does a set, people aren't looking at just a comedian that's funny, yeah? To them, that's a family member. That's what's yeah. so effective about Judy, because Judy's like your Judy's like your cousin. Everyone, you got a friend like Judy. Judy's like the very nice girl that's sitting next to you in the nail salon. Judy's your friend. Judy's the girl that's with you at the when you're at the drink, going to the bar, getting drinks. Judy's the person that you shut up at a conversation with when you're doing your makeup in the bathroom and stuff. Like, there's just a warmth that she has, whereby you're. As far as the audience is concerned, they're rooting for a friend, not just a comedian. Yeah, yeah she's she's yeah. infectious fun, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's, just, it's just that warmth, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a warmth that draws you to her. Where it's like we all know somebody like Judy. Like that's always there's always someone that, like Judy's always that person. It's like you know, I, I can relate to. Like it just works on a comedic level so well. Where it's like not only is she that person making a joke, she's the person you turn to on your sofa. Where you're like, oh my days, did you see that? And that's why it works so well. Yeah, she also London Hughes. Mm. I. I've known Miss London for many years, like before she even really embarked on stand up. But I saw like me and London was in Edinburgh together, and I was doing typical, and she was doing uh, to catch a dick, um, the, the setting up for that. And I went to see her twice, and I and you know we I saw the small tiny room that she was playing, 
right? Even though it was a good room, but it was a small, tiny room that she's playing across from me, like upstairs across from me. Um, and literally the first time uh, I went to see her, I went to see her with a friend and she ripped it down. Me and Kojo and Mr. C, a few of us went to see her the following, like later towards the end. And we could just about got tickets because when I first went to see her, it's hardly anybody in the room, which is normal for Edinburgh. Of course. Then, then by the time by the time it ended, Travis J, all of us went to see her. Um, Travis J is another one, by the way. Right, um, uh, and she, ah, uh, my God, she annihilated. And now, obviously, she's in America now. She's doing her thing. So definitely, London huge because I think that she, she wasn't really respected on the circuit, and she knew that, and she went away for a while. But what I what I saw her do um, that one that one woman show. Yeah, she commanded all the respect. It was like you couldn't tell her nothing, and I was really proud of her. So, London Hughes, uh, and I did two more. I, I would also say Gina Yashere, because mm-hmm. um, Gina is on a different gear, different level. Oh, for sure, she's she's oh she's the one she's the one to chase. As far as I'm concerned, she's a, yeah, she's, she's the one to chase. For me, for me, that's the that is the career. You know, uh, if things go well, if I could emulate uh, Gina Yashere's career, I'd be a very very happy artist. Because uh, yeah. Um, can I throw it out that we should um, try and make this album happen? Yeah, I, I mean, mean you got a budget. I, I mean, let's let's do it. I mean, I, I mean, those <laughs> some of those people are very busy, but uh, yeah. but I'm sure <laughs> they'll be up for it. But what if we do it for a charity? What if we do it for a charity cause? Listen, I I, I've, I can make I can we can make it happen, Dane. Let's talk I'm just, about it. I'm just saying, Richard Blackwood, that Comic Relief is a charity uh, about philanthropy in Africa. Surely, more people of African descent should probably be involved in something like that. That's what I'm saying. I'm with you. That's what I'm, I'm saying. You. I can get the time in between filming and Hollyoaks. I ain't got a problem with that. That's what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. Watch this. Well, fine. We're going to be back in contact. Yeah. About Dane, you've started something with this question. That's what's happened. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's about yeah. time, man. It makes for a very good album. So, you know what? Some of these people that I mentioned um, that maybe the names are not so prominent need to be seen because they're... That, that's the sad part is that we've got so many great people from the circuit that if you... Like, if you think myself and Dane and Mo are funny... It's like let's just take you for one day down to a normal comedy show Absolutely. down at web, and you'll you'll forget our names after a while, right? You'll be like, wait a minute, who's yeah. this one? And it's like, who's this one? It's like, yeah, we're, this the reason why we're so good at what we do is because we come from that stock. Absolutely, right? mm. I mean, like, never, yeah, I'll never forget the day the first time I saw Judy Love live. I, I honestly, I was like. This is this is outrageous. Like that, yeah. I've never that the more, more people didn't know who she was. You know, was what was I couldn't believe. You know, just, yeah, you know so much energy. It's, 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 it's such an important. It's an important point for people to note because of obviously, especially because normally uh, the angry uh, disposition is synonymous with being a black person. That we're always angry. So then, if you take that disposition and you go yeah. to a comedy club and you see how hard black people laugh, like you said, this is why we have the level of attitude that we have because it's like you're taking people that are supposed to be angry all the time. And really, if we're honest socially don't have much to smile and laugh about so to elicit that joy from that audience you're always going to be able to do that in anywhere else and that was a big part of my uh impetus to get in a mainstream comic it was that i'm seeing like this level of showmanship and a level of performance to get a reaction from people who are dealing with most more trauma than most ethnic and racial groups and getting that reaction from them is like wherever you can lift spirits in a room like this there's no reason why you should not be doing this on a scale of like you know television or in arenas and stuff so that's a big part mm-hmm. is that even by myself like you said and that's the best way to put Richard is that you know me and you are the tip of the iceberg we are just one little part of your comedy palette once you see like the people that we've mentioned and see the range and skill that they have like I said then you know 
there wouldn't be a distinction between what's referred to as a black British comedy circuit and the mainstream circuit. You'll see that some of the comedy alumni you've never heard of yet have probably typified and uh, exemplified British culture in ways that you wouldn't even realise. You know, once yeah. you once you get, you know, you hear about Slim using about like, you know, his life as a dad or even, you know, talk about, you know, even Ginny Escher in terms of being transatlantic and having a Nigerian mum and, and even referencing her sexuality as well. Like the breadth of narrative in the journey, especially now where there's such a big drive in terms of like liberalism and inclusion, you're not going to get anything more inclusive and more varied than some of the people we've mentioned. I couldn't express it about myself. For sure. It's been a brilliant episode, amazing Richard. Episode. It's been amazing to talk to you. Uh, I'm so glad this happened. No, I'm um, no, certain things happen to bring people together, you know? Absolutely. And I have to say again, man, even though the circumstances under which, man, I really can't thank you enough and definitely want you to know, bro, I can always tell you humbly and openly, look up to you. As I said, as a black Briton especially, mm-hmm. didn't really see a lot of people like ourselves. And obviously I'm a little bit older, but I know for a lot of my generation and some of younger peers, wouldn't even have seen Lenny Henry that often on television. So, yeah. like I said looking for a blueprint you gave us and especially yourself didn't have a previous one yourself to follow so yeah, you know sure. yeah can't thank you enough for the example you set man and yeah we really hope that that has been led to a lasting presence of people like myself and mo and all the aforementioned comedians as well it's nice to see it's nice to me it's nice to cut you but it's nice to see that you guys are coming through when i see you when i see mo when i see judy love like those three or let's say london hughes those people that are now getting mainstream success and i can tell you personally that i've seen them perform in dives mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah absolutely like, you know what i mean like getting trains to certain places and then absolutely. having to move they've got to catch the last train home Right, do you know what I mean? Before they missed their train. Otherwise Last time, they- I didn't even make it. You had to drop, you had to drop me home. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I didn't even make the train. So, yeah. When I'm seeing these comedians, I've done it, but when I'm seeing comedians after me doing that and then getting their rewards, for me, I'm like, that's right. Because I know, I know what they've gone through to get there. And also, when I'm seeing them funny on TV, I'm like, you think that's funny? Wait till you see them live. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's been amazing for us to talk it's to been you, great richard. man the future is very bright richard and uh you can definitely say that you are part of that uh legacy for those uh who want to know more uh and have maybe been under a rock uh where can we find your uh good bodies of work mr blackwood um well i'm uh, uh right now i'm i play felix on hollyoaks so you know that's channel four so if you do watch or if you plan to watch i'll be on there um my uh, stand-up wise, I I'm not sure when we're all going to go back to stand-up at some That's point. True, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I just say watch this space. But if I do a stand-up or anything, it'll be on my um, Instagram. Like I'll advertise it. Also, I do a thing called Siblings Talk with me and my sister, my younger sister Sophie, where we discuss. It's like a podcast, I guess, essentially. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll definitely share it on our socials, Richard. Yeah, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seven o'clock every Wednesday, siblings talk, and we talk about everything from racism. It doesn't matter what it is. We all we, sometimes we ask the audience to, to um, what they would like us to discuss, and we discuss it. And then we get guest speakers on, and blah blah. So you know, we'd love to have you on day, you know, because you would be, be my good. pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, but that's enough for now. So yeah. So that's basically the stuff that I'm doing, and as I say, and then my oldest stuff. I guess that's all over the internet. But that's what I'm doing. Right. You can find it. I found it. I went back. That's out, right. Do your do your memory lane do your Googles, do your researches, do your Googles, do your Duck Duck Goes, do your Bings and that, do your series, your, your Alexis. <laughs> Richard, take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. Thank you so you much, too, Richard. Bro. Bless, bro. Love and light, man. Thanks again. 
you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Richard Blackwood. You can follow Richard on Twitter at RB underscore official or on Instagram at Richard Blackwood. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at official Decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly and the Acast team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.